Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Big Game Boomer Show. Hope everyone's doing well this Friday afternoon. I'm going to spend today uh, talking a little Texas football. Um, I know I'm a no-you guy, but you know I like to cover all the programs out there. Um, so before we get started, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button or uh, give us that five-star review on Apple uh, or uh, Spotify. So uh, I've got a great guest today that knows a lot about Texas football. Her name's Taylor Estes. She's the managing editor of Horns 247 and is the co-host of the flagship pod. Let me get her in here. Hey, Taylor, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's Friday. Uh, we're getting closer to college football season. And uh, we're talking about my, uh, since I'm an OU guy, we're talking about our, my arch rival, Texas. So going to just see if you guys are going to be any good this year. <laughs> yeah, a little preview from the other side of the Red River, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like, it's every year, it's it's like, th this is Texas, they're going to be back. The, the, I mean, and it's like, on paper, Texas always looks good. Um, but I feel like the fam, the Texas, like the media always says, oh, is the one that's hyping up, Texas is back, Texas is back. I feel like the fan, the fans are actually kind of sick of it, of like hearing the whole Texas is back thing. Wouldn't you agree there? Yeah, I totally would. And honestly, it's, um, I think it's more the national media that totally pushes that narrative. Because um, if, if you ask people at the University of Texas, they would say that the media that covers them, you know, is jaded and it hates them or something like that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think that I think fans are sick of hearing about it. Honestly, I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, so is Texas back? And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that until I actually see it. I am more of a show me, don't tell me. And I've heard too many hypes, you know, um, off-season storylines going into every single season. I've covered Texas only for it all to fall short. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm, you know, I, I almost want them to be back. So people stop talking about is Texas back at this point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's every year because uh, the talent's there. It's just, can they all put it together, uh, on the field? Um, so like we can talk about last year real quick. Um, 2021, they start out, uh, I believe four and one, um, then they lose, was it, did they lose six in a row? Um, yes. Yeah. Was it from the OU game basically through, uh, gosh, the West Virginia game? And then they beat Kansas State. So I can't remember the last time Texas has lost that many games in a row, six games. Um, and I feel like the Arkansas game just really was kind of the, okay, uh, let's pump the brakes here. This team is not ready yet to uh, compete on the big stage. Would you? agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Steve Sarkeesian, you know, I think when he did take over at Texas, I think he and his staff were very, um, pretty much, it was kind of an eye opener a little bit when they looked at just the roster numbers that they had. I mean, uh, the biggest thing that Steve Sarkeesian talked about was he was kind of baffled that Texas only signed two offensive linemen in the 2021 recruiting cycle. Yeah. And when they were looking at the scholarship numbers on the roster, he couldn't believe how many scholarship receivers there were on the roster, but not scholarship offensive linemen and even defensive linemen. And, you know, with Steve Sarkeesian coming from the SEC, a lot of these assistant coaches that he did hire at Texas also have experience in the SEC. You know that if you play in the SEC, you have to win up front on both sides of the ball. Absolutely. And these coaches know it, obviously, you know, probably better than most out there just because of their experience. So I think that that was a very, um, I guess, a, I don't want to say 
I guess a humbling moment for I think a lot of Texas fans thinking that you know they're going to they, all this hype going to the SEC with Texas and OU last summer, and then they play an SEC team that's considered one of the lower end SEC teams or middle of the pack SEC teams, and they really just got punched in the throat, honestly, from yeah. the jump in that game. Physical. I mean, yeah, it w- they just got annihilated and just tossed around, and so um, I think that should have been an eye opener, at least for any Texas fans that maybe thought that, you know, there's going to be greener days immediately um, ahead. Once Texas know you do make that move. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And that game was, was really just an eye opener of how far behind Texas had become from just an overall roster um, development standpoint. You know, I mean, the offensive line has been uh, honestly in shambles, I would say for a number of years. I mean, I've only seen two offensive linemen drafted in my career and both of those guys were low three-star kind of diamond in the rough type of prospects and Connor Williams and Sam Cosme. I mean, they were the guys that nobody expected to get drafted. So that should sum up, you know, where Texas has been. And then the, you know, when you look at the 2022 signing class, the emphasis that Texas did put and the coaches put on the offensive line and defensive line, that's for the future, but still, it's still in the future. I mean, there's a lot of talent right now, again, going into this football season, but at the end of the day, it's inexperienced. It hasn't proven itself. And um, there's just so many unknowns. Um, So this is, once again, I feel like there's so much hype going on around Texas. Everybody's talking about, you know, the addition of Arch, the commitment of Arch Manning, all all of the stuff that's happened from them. And I don't want to discredit any of that but at the end of the day you don't want to be off-season champions you want to be season champions and so texas has a long way to go until they can achieve that yeah no no absolutely we we'll talk about that arch situation in a second but let's talk about that that ou texas game last year because that's another game where it's like texas just goes up huge on ou i mean it, it's it looks like texas is going to completely run away with it and you've been covering texas for years you know that game is just completely it's a coin flip and you know lincoln riley puts caleb williams in and it's like a night and day difference i mean he's chucking the ball down the field he's just making defense linebackers just look silly when he's running i mean i've just never seen like it's like texas we talked about the arkansas game but i feel like after that game, the defense just like, especially the second half, it's like they were just totally different for the rest of the season. Um, just they seemed kind of lost. Um, yeah. And that was the biggest eye opener to me when I was watching that game is just, I mean, they weren't even, the, their pursuit angles were bad. I mean, it was just, it was, it was crazy. I've just never seen a team from one half look so different the second half. I mean, that game, were you at that game? I was. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you know, that first half, it was like Texas was rolling and, you know, you have to give a lot of credit. I know OU fans may not want to hear this, but you kind of have to give a lot of credit to Lincoln Riley in his approach in that game in getting points when the points were there to get, whether it's, you know, field goals or what, where Texas didn't really do that. And that's where I think was a big, you know, uh, game changer honestly at the outcome of the game but really when you look back at that OU game last year I think that is where you saw the what was going to happen for the rest of the football season play out in front of your eyes you didn't know it at the time obviously you don't expect you know to drop what was it like an 18 point lead in the third quarter yeah it was yeah yeah I mean it was wild (laughs) yeah yeah you don't ever expect that and then the fact that that happened game after game after game, Texas, you know, losing double digit leads or leads in the second half. It just really what, what I think what you saw was the, the, the 
you know, issues on the roster that Tom Herman and his staff were trying to get rid of prior to him getting fired. And the, here we go again, once adversity struck, it's like, oh no, here we go. We're going to, you know, the worst case scenario is going to happen. And that was kind of the overall mentality, I think, of last year's team. Now, Steve Sarkeesian has done, I think, at least up to this point, now we're talking off season, you know, yep. but uh, up to this point, yes, exactly. <laughs> but I do think he's done a good job of getting some of that mentality out of the locker room. There's been a lot of transition with players that may have been the ones that kind of sparked the uh-oh, you know, problems in the locker room have um, moved on, but you still don't really know at this point until adversity strikes in the game. So yeah, what happened in that OU game, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. Um, I mean, that game is such a game of momentum too, just because of the way that, you know, the stadium's divided. I've been on the field a few times for that game. And like, even just standing on the sideline, you literally can feel it in your bones when the other side is so loud, it's deafening. And the side, you know, the opposite side is so silent, it's deafening, yeah. you know? And so the momentum shifts are huge in that one. OU took advantage of, you know, Texas starting to crumble. And really, I mean, Sooners can probably pat themselves on the back a little bit because that really changed the entire outcome of the um, 2021 football season was that second half of the OU game. Yeah, no, it was wild. I mean, I remember when Kennedy Brooks ran that uh, game-winning touchdown. I mean, it was like the entire defense for Texas just decided not to tackle him. I mean, yeah, it, they, they didn't they even did touch him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was crazy. Um, another thing I read, you know, I read the athletics uh, state of the programs. I read all of them. And, and one thing that I found interesting was Sark kind of, kind of, you know, admitted that they had some chemistry issues due to kind of the, you know, the reconstruction of the South end zone, um, kind of how they were kind of spread out, I guess, across the, the facilities. They weren't kind of as, I guess, a cohesive unit. And he kind of said that that kind of affected the chemistry on the field and at practice. Do you think that really had some, there, there's some truth to that statement? I think so. Cause you know, I think anytime, you know, I, I've covered a number of first year head coaches and head yeah. coaches, you know, staffs that they bring in. Yeah. Um, I only, I can't even count how many assistant coaches I've covered in my 10 years covering Texas. It would be astounding, but you know, um, I feel like always in year one, there's always going to be just those little hiccups, you know, because you're still kind of getting used to the new you know, people that you're supposed to be listening to. And so I do think that I, I thought it was really big of Steve Sarkeesian, honestly, to admit that openly. Um, you know, I, I came from sure, covering yeah. Tom Herman, who never wanted to admit any fault in what he did. And, you, you know, you have to have kind of a big ego if you're going to be um, a college football head coach, especially at a place like, you know, Oklahoma or Texas or something like that. But I really think that Sark is pretty um, honest when he does talk that way. And I, I think that was a huge deal. You know, he was trying to instill his culture when he came over. You know, there were still some restrictions with COVID going on. You know, the first week of spring practice, um, a ton of players get COVID, totally sidelined everything. There was just a lot of offseason adversity that I think that they probably didn't handle very well or nor did they trust the coaching staff, not necessarily because there was something that the coaching staff was doing, but they literally were separated. I mean, the coaching staff offices, I believe, were in the north end zone yeah. and the player stuff, you know, on the opposite side of the field. And so they're really I do think that 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 is a legit thing. I don't think it really is a coach speak type of thing. Um, and also, in addition to that, I do think that the lack of familiarity with any of the coaches 
you know, coming off of a coaching staff that was kind of hard nosed. You didn't want to really mess with Tom Herman. It was almost players kind of played out of fear a, a lot more under Tom Herman. Then they have a totally different personality. I think there was just so many different, there's so many changes, honestly, and then not having the coaches around them constantly only added to it when the adversity struck, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that it was like that all off season, but I think the moments that adversity struck, it was like the players got into their old mentality and the culture that Steve Sarkeesian and his staff were trying to develop just totally went out the window and it went into the, Oh no type of, you know, thought process. And so, um, yeah, I think that was, that was a legitimate thing. I do believe yeah. that they've been talking all about how it's better now. We'll see, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, yeah. if it was that big of a deal, you know, last off season kind of, again, you're going to show me, don't tell me, um, when it comes to that actually changing, but you know, the, I think the fact of the matter is Steve Sarkeesian absolutely needs that changed sooner rather than later, especially when those adversity moments strike. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of adversity. And, you know, obviously um, one of the biggest, uh, I guess, new biggest off season news uh, on the recruiting trail was uh, Texas picked up Arch Manning, which kind of just shocked the world. Um, it's funny. Like he, that guy, he has not tweeted once or anything. It's been a very kind of silent. It's been a weird recruiting process. Um, he makes that one tweet. And it's like, I'm committed to Texas and like gets like, 2 million likes. I mean, it just goes crazy. What does, and we've seen, you know, I've seen the effect you've already seen, you know, other five-star recruits, you know, commit to Texas. What does it, it, what is it like for Texas to pick up a recruit with that magnitude? I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's gotten Texas fans. They're not as concerned about this season because they think the future's bright with this future recruiting class. Yeah, you know, I think it definitely I, I feel like it almost totally erased what happened last year. I mean, yeah. the fact alone, like prior to Arch Manning even taking his official visit, um, I said this on on our podcast, one of the Horns 24-7 podcasts, about how the fact that Steve Sarkeesian in Texas was actually even in the mix up to that point. Like if you're a Texas fan, you almost had to take it as a win because you came off of a five and seven season in year one you know, under a new coaching staff at a school that has been very, very quick to fire coaches if they don't get the job done and start winning immediately once they take over at Texas. And so I almost feel like that type of, I mean, it, I don't want to say it's a, I'm trying to, th I don't want to overcook it because he's still a recruit, yeah, but he could, not, he, he could decommit tomorrow. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Which, which I don't think, I don't think that they would do that. And barring some sort of like crazy scandal or something like that, or Steve Sarkeesian getting fired. I don't see that happening just with how methodically the Manning family really did approach the recruiting process. You know, he's not really a, a look at me type of guy, obviously with his first tweet, even being that he just committed to Texas. But, yeah. um, you know, I think that when, when you do get a recruit of that magnitude who has just so happens to have the last name Manning, it can be a program changer, not just from the fans like perspective of what the future may look like, but also the players that will follow that type of recruit, especially if it's the quarterback. I mean, I think, you know, Texas fans kind of experienced it in 2002 when Vince Young came to Texas and then the onset of talent that came in year after year because good players want to play with good players and good players, especially want to play with a good quarterback. And if you're the number one quarterback in the country, guys are going to follow that. So I think that Texas, you know, the, I think the future definitely seems appears to be bright with this all. Now everything can change, you know, if Steve Sarkeesian were to leave or anything like that, because yeah. I think Arch Manning committed more so to Steve Sarkeesian 
um, just because they really believe in his development for quarterbacks. But yeah, I mean, I, the, it could, the perception could quickly become a reality just because of what can follow that. But again, you've still, he's still got to win this year. I mean, if he goes five and seven this year, we're probably having different conversations about what the future may look like and, and, and all of that. I mean, there's just so many different things to, to really um, put into the equation when it comes to this, you know, the current landscape of college football, especially at a place like Texas that usually gives coaches three years to win or they're out the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've seen, like, I just saw someone just posted playing devil's advocate on tape. He's not number the number one QB, especially against that weak competition, Texas fans may be disappointed with this one. I mean, you can argue about that. We saw uh, Mike Farrell say that he might be a three star if it wasn't for his last name. I mean, I, I don't buy that. I mean, I don't buy yeah, that either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the Manning name um, obviously carries a lot of weight, but I mean, the guy's still pretty talented and, you know, you wouldn't have Nick Saban and Kirby Smart aggressively going after him if, if they didn't think he was any good. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, I think that a lot of that's just just talk i mean it's just off-season talk that people are just talking points that they're just trying to you know bring up arguments <laughs> yeah yeah kind of the hot takes after yeah. you know that that you know that magnitude of a recruit actually does commit and and one thing i do say when people say you know if his last name was smith or jones or something he wouldn't be the number one player or anything like that but i think the manning family name actually adds to that five-star appeal because i mean name a manning that didn't pan out in yeah. football. I mean, you know, we're talking about one of the best um, quarterback families in probably in history. In, yeah. History for real. And so yeah. um, that, that does add a little bit of something and it's not only a given just because that's his family name. I mean, his, his dad also was a, a recruit, you know, a pretty highly touted recruit until he had an injury um, that ended his football career. I think he had spinal stenosis, I believe it was, but so he never got to pan out, but I mean, you know, the, the Manning name does carry weight. And so it is going to probably, you know, impact maybe people give more benefit of the doubt, but it's kind of an earned benefit of the doubt, I feel at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And someone said, I think other players are rising in stock too, because they do more seven on seven than Manning. Yeah. I, I think Manning doesn't do the seven on seven camps because he doesn't have to. I mean, yeah. he, he doesn't, That's there's no, there's no need for him to go. His stock can only drop if he, if he goes to those camps. So, I mean, why, if you're him, why go? I mean, um, I, I think it's a business move. I mean, I think that family, they are very well in tuned with what's going on in the recruiting world and, um, they're just doing what's best for Arch. So moving on to, so he's, you know, not at Texas yet. Let's move on to the future, you know, the current quarterbacks. So obviously, um, huge, uh, signing Quinn Ewers, uh, from Ohio state. Um, I think he played like two plays, uh, <laughs> against Michigan state, like in garbage time. But, um, I watched the spring game. Guy throws a great deep ball. Um, very talented. Um, you know, I think it's likely he named he's uh, he's going to be the starter. Um, Hudson Card obviously still there. Um, do you think Sark's just kind of playing around? He's not going to announce the starter till you know spring till like a couple weeks before the season, just to I mean to keep Hudson around. Um, because we've seen we've seen we've seen coaches announce the starter in the spring and then the backup transfers. I mean, you think right. that's kind of a similar situation here? So that that's kind of an interesting take because I would say that more times than not, I would say yes, that that's absolutely the case. The thing I think with Hudson Card is he's always wanted to be at Texas. Um, 
And I don't necessarily see him, even if Sark were to name the starting quarterback day one of of fall camp on um, August 3rd as being Quinn Ewers. I wouldn't, I would be a little surprised even then if Hudson Card were to transfer. Now, once he graduates from Texas, which he's supposed to graduate after, um, I think in December actually of 2022. And if, if Quinn Ewers has secured the job, then I think we're having a different conversation. But, um, you know, I think Sark is really just very honest, honestly, with these guys and has been. He did say um, at Big 12 Media Days, he was talked, he um, was asked about, you know, if he knows who the quarterback is going to be. He said he, you know, hasn't named a starter or anything like that. But the new NCAA rule changes that have allowed coaches to be around the team more and more during the summer, you know, workouts and um, the player led workouts that they have. He thinks that he will actually be in a position to name a starter much earlier than, you know, last season when he named it leading up to week one of yeah. the actual football season. So I think that, you know, I think the fair, I think the safe guess right now would be that Quinn Ewers is going to be the guy, but the one thing that he really has to, um, you, he's got to show more than anything is his ability to take care of the football. Cause that was the biggest knock on him. I mean, when he would make some throws, even at the, you know, the limited windows that Texas allows media to be at, you're sitting there watching this. You're just like, Oh my gosh, like that is an amazing throw. And then he, you know, throws an interception the next pass. And that that's very common for young quarterbacks. And yeah. I know he's a redshirt freshman. Technically he should be a true freshman. Remember? He should, he yeah. Was, he, yeah. He should he, be. Yeah. He yeah. just went to Ohio state for the whole NIL deal. Really? I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he handed off the ball twice. That's all. That's, that's yeah. the, the, you know, extent of his college snaps. So um, I think that there's a lot of those freshman things he's going to have to really work through. But at the end of the day, I think the the safe bet would, be that Quinn Ewers is going to be the guy because he also fits more of the prototypical quarterback that Steve Sarkeesian likes to have. You know, Steve Sarkeesian isn't necessarily the um, dual threat quarterback guru where he's going to utilize a player's and, uh, you know, quarterback's legs all the time, like say Sam Ellinger, you know, how he was utilized a lot in yeah. Texas. Um, and, and that's intentional because Steve Sarkeesian will say time and again, his court, the, the last player he wants to see get hit is a quarterback. So he doesn't want to see him on the run, be a moving target and just get absolutely annihilated either where Hudson card is more of that dual threat quarterback. You know, he played receiver in high school before he uh, moved over to quarterback. So I think that all, all, if you read the tea leaves, everything kind of is lining up to where Quinn Ewers is probably going to be named the starter. Um, and I, I don't think that that means that Hudson card's going to transfer yet, but if we talk on December, we may be having a different conversation if this yeah. all plays out. Yeah, no, I'm I'm impressed with viewers. I think he could, he's a guy that could definitely step in and have success immediately, um, especially in the Big Twelve um, with, with, with these defenses not being as strong as what you'd see in the SEC. Um, you know, also uh, Sark also brought some uh, some you know coaching staff additions for some guys that I really like. Um, one of my friend, he's a friend, he's a friend of the show, uh, Brennan Marion. Uh, comes in um, be the wide receiver coach, passing game coordinator. Um, he, you know, he just coached Jordan Addison, Blitnikoff winner, and also bring in Gary Patterson as kind of an analyst. It's kind of wild seeing him uh, in some Texas uh, Texas gear. Um, very, very strange uh, in, in that burn orange. But how do you think those those kind of coaching changes are going to impact the actual play on the field? You know, I think that the addition of Brennan Marion was. A, a crucial hire for Steve Sarkeesian. Um, and this isn't a knock on Andre Coleman, the former receivers coach, but he was kind of the carryover from Tom Herman's staff um, just because from at the time, 
um, the guys that Steve Sarkeesian was really going after when he took over initially as head coach for the receivers position did not accept the job. And so I think it was more of a, let's keep at least some familiarity on the, the staff with the roster to help us kind of transition into taking over this team. Um, but, you know, Brennan Marion, I think his, his resume and while it's, he's still a very young coach, I think it speaks for himself, you know, seeing what he was able to do and help mold, you know, Jordan Addison into becoming the Volitnikoff award winner. He takes over a receiver room that honestly, after last season was a liability entering 2022, but Texas and Brendan Marion gets a lot of credit gets, you know, um, has done a fantastic job of adding a lot of talent from the transfer portal. When you look at, you know, um, Isaiah Nayor from, from Wyoming, yeah, yeah Wyoming. transfer, Alabama transfer, J.E. Hall, um, even Iowa State transfer wide receiver, Tariq Milton. Then you look at, you know, Jaleel Billingsley, the tight end from Alabama that looks a little bit more like a receiver than a tight yeah. end when you see him. Um, and then, you know, having a healthy Jordan Whittington back plus um, Xavier Worthy, the, you know, reigning Who's big 12 offensive, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he's taken over a position that is in such a far better place than it was in December of 2021. And he gets a lot of credit for that. And when you look at just what Xavier Worthy was able to do in such a short amount of time and with, um, you know, Brennan Marion having the experience of coaching Bolitnikoff award talent, I think that he could potentially be in a position, maybe it's not this year, if next year, to have two Bolitnikoff award winners on his resume yeah. if everything pans out. But, you know, and, and when we talk about the receiver, any of that type of thing, you have to go back to the Texas offensive line. The offense is only going to be as good as what this offensive line is going to be. And that's a huge question for Texas. But if that can get figured out, and I think Brennan Marion's career probably is going to skyrocket, honestly, yeah. um, from, from um, you know, already kind of where it was coming out of pit. And then Gary Patterson, I mean, it's crazy to see him in a burn orange. I, I'm used I know, to seeing him it's, it's on wild. the opposite side. Yeah, where yeah. he's like sweating through his purple and screaming <laughs> at everybody on the sideline. But, you know, it, it's uh, it, that was a huge addition for Sark. I mean, sure, I, yeah. like that, I, I was kind of surprised that it went down, especially since Gary Patterson was pretty critical of Steve Sarkeesian after the TCU game because of how many times he ran um, Bijan Robinson. I think it was 30, like, three or 35 times. And Gary Patterson commented about how he had never used a running back that many times. And honestly, I kind of thought at the time it shook Sark a little bit and changed the way that they did utilize B. John Robinson moving forward. But that was a huge addition. Um, Gary Patterson's obviously not in an on-field coaching role or anything like that, but he's really um, there to kind of be a sounding board for a lot of these coaches who don't have as much experience, the defensive coaches that is, um, in coaching against big 12 offenses. So that's a it's a unique addition, but it's it was probably honestly. I mean, I don't want to discredit Brendan Marion or Tashard Choice coming in because both of them, you know, are bright young coaches. Forgot about Choice, bright, yeah, Choice yeah, they have good bright coach as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. they have bright futures, obviously. But Gary Patterson may have been the one, the probably maybe one of the best hires, and to think he's just a special assistant to a coach that just kind of shows that, and I think it shows the respect, honestly, that Steve Sarkeesian has for him and anybody that's watched TCU over the last, what, 25 years would know that Gary knows defense. And so uh, if your defense is struggling, adding him just to be a sounding board is not going to hurt in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, no. Plus, he's in Austin now, and you know he's a musical guy, so he can, yeah. you know, when he's got some off time, he can go play in some bars on uh, Rainy Street with his, with his, his new Right, yeah, South music. by Southwest. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, no, I, I so Brendan Marion, I, I think he's a he's going to be a future head coach someday. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm really high on him, and yeah, Xavier Worthy, I think, is a guy that is going to absolutely take off this year if the offensive line can come together. And I know they're young. I mean, you've got like six or seven recruits that came in uh, this season, and I mean, a, a lot of them are going to see playing time. If that line can come together, do you think Bijan Robinson has a chance to make it to New York for the Heisman ceremony? Oh, yeah, he should, for sure. If the offensive line, I mean, even for Bijan Robinson, I'll say this, they all the offensive line needs to do is make a tiny hole. They they just need to get out of his way and get another player out of Bijan's way because he's such a, you know, I, I know I'm going to sound like a homer right now, and I, I maybe he's I scary. am. scary. As a know you guy, yeah. he, he's scary. He scares yeah. me. <laughs> he, he is, without a doubt, the best running back player, everything that I have covered in my career, not just at Texas in general that I've seen. And I used to cover recruiting a lot. Like Bijan is a special, special talent. And quite frankly, I, I, I um, thought last year, if he would have stayed healthy and if Texas didn't, you know, go on that six game losing streak, I would have been like, that, that's crazy if he didn't make it to New York, you know, type of thing. And yeah. things obviously changed last year, but no, I think if the offensive line can just be mediocre, I think Bijan Robinson will be in New York at the Heisman ceremony. And he should be. I mean, this kid is special. You know, Reggie Bush talked about it. I think it was actually um, in that Texas OU game, one of the runs um, where Bijan, I think he missed like 10 tackles or something on a single run. And Reggie Bush was like, oh, like, you know, look at number five out there. Like who he, when he wore number five, you know, at USC. Um, I think that's a huge credit to Bijan's talent because I do think that they're kind of similar Reggie Bush and him and the way that they run. And if Reggie Bush kind of sees it, I think that should show kind of what level of talent that you're talking about with Bijan. But yeah, I mean, this kid, if, if he stays healthy in the offensive line, even just as mediocre at best, I think that he'll be the best running back in college football when it's all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he, he's incredible to watch. And he's also got a sweet uh, NIL deal with the, with the, whatever the local Lamborghini dealership is in Austin. I've seen him driving around town in that, that sweet car. So yeah, um, (laughs) better than the scooter. He used to ride on a scooter. I'm like, dude, you are worth (laughs) way too much money to be riding on one of those scooters. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Definitely a step up from a scooter. So, all right. So, so we've talked a lot about the offense. Let's just touch quickly on the defense. I mean, that was kind of their, I guess their weakest link was kind of stopping the run last year. They averaged, I think uh, we're 114th uh, overall and stopping the run. Um, They bring some guys back, but, uh, but, but this team's got to get better at tackling. Um, And and I know we talked about it earlier. Um, I mean, do you see them making a jump uh, from being like, the eighth best or eight, you know, eighth in the big 12 in scoring to, you know, I mean, they, I think they just need to be with that offense in the fourth or fifth range in scoring. Um, Cause they've, they've, they've got to, they've got to make some stops. Um, that's the key to, to playing in the big 12. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think you're going to see improvement, but it's really kind of like, is it really that difficult to show improvement over some of the performances that you did see from the defense last year? If it's difficult, then you're in a world of hurt, probably I would say, but no, you know, there, there is some, yeah, some veteran guys that are returning at different positions. The defensive line is a little bit more experienced. I do think that having um, consistency in a coordinator really does help with that too. Just because if you look at a guy like Tavondre Sweat, for instance, he's a, I believe he's entering his senior year, his fourth year at Texas, and he's had every year a, d- a different defensive coordinator in a different d- 
defensive scheme that he had to learn. And so, you know, he was a guy that really started flashing a little bit under Todd Orlando, his true freshman year. Then he started showing, you know, signs, whatever, around Chris Ash. And he kind of had a fall off year last year. And fans were kind of like, what's happening to him? And it's like, well, you've had three different defensive coordinators and schemes in three years. So I think the consistency yeah. should help overall from um, the defense. I think um, especially, you know, the, the front seven on defense, having the same coaches, you know, getting to know them better too, with um, all of them being new um, in 2021. Now they have a year of experience, understanding their personalities that should help. The biggest question on defense though, for me is the, the safety position. I mean, this is the second year in a row where Texas has been in a position to where they have to move a player from a different position to fill the role of safety. And then they're likely going to be um, starting. So last year it was a uh, former wide receiver turned safety, that Brendan uh, Schooler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brendan Schooler. He's the one that, you know, he moved from receiver to safety. He started at safety um, and, you know, kind of bless his heart, but the whole safety, the position was a liability and he didn't help it really, but that was the best case scenario that Texas had. That was the only option that they really did have. And this year they have, I guess, a little bit better situation. Anthony Cook, who played nickel a lot last year, he also has played corner at Texas. He actually has moved to safety. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one. And then Keaton Crawford is going to be competing with Jaron Thompson. And if you're an OU fan, you probably remember Jaron Thompson being one of the guys that kept missing, um, you know, the guys running into the end zone in the Red River shootout last oh, yeah. year, because he, uh, after that game, he got benched. I mean, he was, that was probably one of the worst performances of his career. You, he probably better hope it's the worst performance of his career. Cause it was bad. That was real, real bad. So he's now competing with Keaton Crawford, who is a former corner as well. So there's still potentially going to be two players that have not played safety that are going to start for safety at Texas. Potentially. Um, I think it's probably a better situation since they both at least were in the secondary moving over and not moving from the offensive side of the ball, but that, you know, the last line of the defense, you don't want that to be your weakest link. And so Texas definitely is going to have to, figure that out sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you know, this could um, be very, you know, very little progress that you would see from the defense from year one of year two of, Sarf of yeah. Sarkeesian. Yeah. And I know you got Deshaun, uh, Deshaun, uh, was it Jameson back yes. there as well? He's kind of the veteran. Um, and, and the thing about the big 12, like last year, you didn't really see offenses um, as explosive um, as you typically do in the big 12. But this year, like, I think you're going to see an uptick like Texas Tech. They bring in Zach Kitley from Western Kentucky. They like to throw the ball around. Sonny Dykes at TCU, you know they're going to throw the ball around. Uh, West Virginia, they bring in uh, Graham Harrell, so they're going to be throwing the ball around. And, you know, OU with, uh, with uh, God, Jeff Levy. Um, so I, I think you will see an uptick in offenses this year passing-wise. Um, so yeah, you're right. The secondary can't be your weakest link because, because those safeties can get burned and that'll cost you a lot of points. Um, so let's, let's just look at the schedule real quick. Um, you know, I, I saw the Vegas win total was like eight and a half, which I, I think it's pretty fair. I mean, you got the, the Bama game. I, I just, I mean, Bama's Bama. I mean, they're going to be, if, if you're competitive, you know, great. Um, I mean, do you think that this team has a shot to make it to the Big 12 championship this year? No. <laughs> I mean, if I, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but no. Like, uh, well, a lot of people all... do. A lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of want to be like, I'll have what you're having because it's – I mean, right now Texas doesn't even know who – they, or at least not named a quarterback. 
they don't know who their starting offensive line is even going to be. I mean, they couldn't even have two offensive lines in the spring game because how little depth that they have. Now, you know, obviously they did bring in um, seven freshmen. But if you're in a position where you are relying on not just even just one, but multiple true freshmen, especially if they are summer enrollees, then you're that's like the least ideal situation for any coach in college football. I think that I think most every coach would agree the one position, the two positions probably you would like to redshirt if you have the opportunity to is offensive line and quarterback. And Texas, I think, may be, you know, having two two true freshman offensive linemen starting this season and that. Um, yeah, you know, it's a liability. Not, it is. Yeah. And it's in not, and that doesn't, you know, not to say that those guys may not develop into the type of recruiting talent that they came, you know, um, to Texas with the highly talented recruits, some of these five-star guys, but you're asking a lot of an 18, 19 year old who's just been, you know, in college for a summer only to really be in, um, going up against an Alabama for instance, you know? So when yeah. I look at the big 12, I think it's totally wide open, um, I would, I would put other teams honestly in a better position to make it to the big 12 title game that people aren't talking about right now. Um, as opposed to Texas, you know, I think Kansas state could be one of those sneaky yes. good teams as long a lot as they of people, can stay healthy. A lot of people are high on Kansas state right now. Yeah. yeah. It used to be a dark horse, but like, it's like now everyone's talking about them. So maybe they're not so much of a dark horse anymore. Yeah, you know, the addition of Adrian Martinez there, um, you know, Deuce Vaughn coming back. The biggest thing with K-State to me is going to be if they can stay healthy because it's just kind of goes back to even when Bill Sider was the coach. It's hard to build a ton of quality depth in Manhattan, Kansas. I mean, you're relying a lot on walk-ons and JUCO players and all of that. So, um, but yeah, with Texas, I just think there's too many questions right now for me to have any you know, faith that they would even be in a position to make a big 12 title run. I think if you're a Texas fan, you look at that eight and a half win total, I would say eight is a good year for Texas. Um, yeah, that's, in year two. that's kind of what I was thinking. Eight and four ish, nine and three yeah. is a good year. Yeah, yeah for sure. If, if they win nine games, I think you should be ecstatic. If you're a Texas fan, you take yeah. that as a huge win, um, especially coming off that five and seven year. Um, but, you know, I think that this is going to be potentially a better big 12 than a lot of people are giving it credit for as well. And all those things to say, and maybe I am jaded. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, the <laughs> officials at Texas are right about us, but there's really nothing that gives me, you know, um, a lot of confidence at this point that Texas is in a position to make a title run this year. Now, next year, you know, if all things um, go well this year, the players play, you know, the, the experience, the offensive line gets better, all of that, then I would probably have a different opinion. But this year, there's way too many question marks for me to say that Texas is in any position to make a conference title run. Yeah, but I'm sure they'll be ranked preseason top 25. Oh, you know, of course. Some, some interesting, <laughs> like, I was just kind of looking at their schedule. Like, they've only beaten OU three times since 2010. That That's mm-hmm. it, crazy. Um, they've won, they've, they're four and eight against Oklahoma State since 2010. They've only beaten TCU twice since 2014, and they're six and six against Baylor since 2010. It's just, it's crazy reading those numbers and being like, is that really what's happened over the last, you know, 10, 12 years? But I mean, it has. So, um, you know, I I, I like Sark. I I mean, Herman was just, he was a tough guy to like for me. Um, Sark, I I like how he carries himself. I I like the offense, um, his composure seems like a good guy. So, so I, I, we need Texas to be good. Um, College football needs Texas to be good. So hopefully he's got him on the right track. 
Yeah, you would hope so. And and I think the the same probably goes also for Oklahoma, you know, if, especially with the pending move to the SEC. Oh, yeah. If you're a Texas and OU, you want to be at the top of your game before you make that move because um, you don't want to be the laughingstock of the SEC, you know, when you actually do transition no, no, over no, no, and no. play with, <laughs> yeah, play with the big dogs here. So, um, yeah, I think that I think it'll be good for college football if, if both, I mean, you know, Brent, obviously OU has been much more successful than Texas. Um, but with a new head coach, you know, if he hits the ground running, I think that that's going to be the best case scenario for just everything's considered. It may not be for the, the big 12 since they'll be losing them, but for, for overall college football. Yeah. I think that, um, and and I'm really excited to see, honestly, the matchup between Brent Venable's defense, you know, being a defensive minded head coach against the Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I did say, although leading up to last season was like, Oh, I can't wait for the Lincoln Riley, Tom Herman matchups for years to come and the Red River (laughs) shootout. And I got one of those, which was a really exciting game. We got one, you know, to (laughs) to witness, but no, I think that this is going to be really um, interesting to see these two coaches go head to head in the cotton bowl. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And yeah, Tom Herman say you want about him. He was an entertaining head coach to watch and probably to follow. (laughs) So yeah, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. We'll say that. (laughs) Well, Hey Taylor, that's all I got. I I really appreciate you for hopping on today and talking Texas football with me. Can you, can you tell the listeners where to, to find you on Twitter and your podcast that you've got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Taylor Estes two four seven. And then if you go to youtube.com forward slash horns twenty four seven, um, you can watch all of our video podcasts or you can download them on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, whichever your uh, favorite streaming devices. But the flagship podcast with myself and Chip Brown, who's probably a name that some OU fans uh, recognize too, since he's covered <laughs> Texas. I like to joke he's covered yep. Texas for, um, you know, basically a century. So <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, football scoop that we have over there. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Hey, we appreciate you for coming on and, uh, you know, I'll give you a little horns down here just, just for fun. But, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be it if I didn't yeah, see that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, hey, flag. hey no. I'm, I'm pulling a flag on you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, no, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, have a great weekend. Thanks so much. All right, we'll see you. That's Taylor Estes. Enjoyed having her on. Always talking Texas football. Um, I like, you know, I like talking all schools, um, especially with the season this close. So um, that's it for today. Um, You know, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Give us that review on Apple and uh, Spotify. Uh, We're back Sunday night. Uh, Me and ATL Jimmy, we're doing our uh, Big Ten uh, West predictions and win totals. So uh, uh, we'll see you guys on Sunday night. Thanks for listening.